Kate and I'm here with Leslie and um, we've got a good one today. Um, this is the beginning of our Tough Love series. I don't know about you, Leslie, but I kind of cringe when I hear people say, you know what he needs? He just needs some tough love. I generally doubt the love part of tough right. love. And I think what I've come to realize as I was as I was getting ready to talk about this today is probably not all tough love is created equal. I think we're going to break that down a little bit, that maybe there are some forms of tough love that maybe have a little bit more love in them and others that, uh, that don't. So I want to start with fear. Sometimes people mistakenly think that fear will help people they care about make some kind of change or be inspired to do something. And they'll say things like, you know, if you don't get serious about this, you're going to die. Or if you don't change your group of friends, you know, you're going to end up in jail. And I think along those lines, sometimes people talk about things like hitting rock bottom. Mm. Like, oh, just let him go. He just needs to hit rock bottom and then he'll see. He'll have to face reality. I suppose it's real. I mean, if I've lived it myself. But I find that it just isn't that common. It's intense. Like, it's one of those... It's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it hits hard. And I wonder if you know anyone who's been told, do this or you could die and the person just kept doing it anyway. Does that ring a bell for you? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it's one of those things, it's almost like debt, where people are like, mm-hmm. oh, like, you know, if you keep spending like this, you're never going to get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Well, those people are like, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm yeah. never going to get out of debt. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always going to be in debt. So, like, does it matter if I, you know, buy a new car right now or if I, you know, keep on with my little, you know, piece of crap <laughs> car that I have? I mean, I think the example you're giving is a great one because what we find is that it doesn't seem to kickstart anybody into, you know, suddenly being a brand new person. Um, In my work, I train a couple thousand physicians, nurses, teachers, social workers, psychologists every year. And they say to me things like, you know, I tell people what they need to do. I tell them how high the stakes are and they just don't listen. You know, and Leslie, you don't have to answer this out loud. This is maybe more a rhetorical question because I think the answer could be really personal. (laughs) But for you and for those who are listening, I would encourage you to think about what is it that you do when you're scared? Mm -hmm. You know, some people will eat a tub of ice cream. Some people will rack up credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Some people will light up a cigarette. Some people will do all three at once. Some people (laughs) are very talented and can manage all those things. Um, Some people will drink alcohol. Some people will will lay all of their stress and fears and and worries on a loved one. Mm. Um, But generally we find that when people are scared, they seek comfort. And oftentimes they find comfort in things that are familiar, Mm -hmm. not things that are turning over a new leaf and starting something new and and taking a risk. And unfortunately, the things that bring us comfort tend to be things that are not so good for us in the long run. They might feel good in the short term, and that's why we did it. It brought comfort Mm -hmm. in a time of being scared. But I don't know anyone who's ever said something like, 
wow, I'm so scared right now. I think I'll manage my diabetes better. Like, <laughs> no one talks that way. Right. They say, oh my gosh, I've had a horrible day. I got terrible news. I feel sick to my stomach. I just want to go veg on the couch and watch Netflix. Right, right. Does this, does this raise anything for you or bring up anything? Yeah, I mean... I, I can think of a couple times, even like personally, where I've been like, "Wow, that I've you know something I've done something that's not great. I'm just gonna go home and wallow in it. Like, it can't get any worse. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. gonna like li- live this moment, you know. I'm gonna sink right into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I was doing a training once, um, and I was delivering this workshop, and it's actually talking about this topic. And someone in, who was a participant raised his hand. And I called on him and he said, Kate, this thing you're talking about, this like scare tactic thing, is that why every time my doctor tells me I need to lose weight, I leave and I go get pizza? <laughs> well, and everyone in the room started laughing, just as you did. Um, and I, the thing is, I don't think he was trying to be funny. I think he's really trying to figure out why do I do that? Right. Why do I get this news, this big threat, this mm-hmm. big scare? Why do I let it hit me hard? And then do the opposite thing that I should do in that moment. And, you know, I'm not inside his head, so I can't really know why he does that. So I just said to him, basically, I I can't know for sure why you get pizza after your doctor's appointment. But I can guess that if you're bringing it up now in the context of this conversation, that you think you're getting scared and you're seeking comfort and you find comfort in a piece of pizza. Frankly, I do too. Um, And so I think my point here is that even if you can cite a few rare examples of a time when fear did seem to inspire someone to, to make a big change, more often we find that the fear is paralyzing and detrimental. And so when we say things like, I'm gonna give him some tough love and I'm gonna, I'm gonna threaten him or scare the hell out of him or tell him all the terrible things that are gonna happen, often people are surprised when it doesn't make a person go, wow, I'm so happy you came to talk to me today. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, I had never realized all the threats that are in the world and I'm going to change everything. Well, probably people are clinging to something now that will make them feel more comfortable. And when people are torn between some of these negative feelings and positive feelings, well, which one feels better to Mm -hmm. feel? Right, right. (laughs) So it's almost like, you know, when someone confronts them with this thing, Mm -hmm. it's threat, 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 threat. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people's response to a threat is to seek, you know, that that comfort, bring comfort close. What's what's the most comfortable thing that I can think of? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a lot of times it's whatever that threat is. Yeah, and so if you think about, you know, I'm sure everyone's wondering, well, what else should I do? Because a lot of us don't know what else to do except pose this threat. So if you think about people tend to make healthier decisions for themselves when they're not feeling threatened, when they feel comfortable, what can you do to help your friend feel safe, secure, and comfortable, and then pose some options for that person to Mm. consider, rather than make them feel insecure, unsafe, and threatened, and then pose options for them to consider. They may not make the healthiest, smartest choice if first they have felt scared to death. They're going to go with whatever choice is going to make them feel better, even if that's just temporarily. So anything that we can do to help people feel at peace or safe or not judged, um, not at all threatened. So so how do we do that, though? Because, I I mean, I'm thinking of somebody right now, and I'm like, you know, man, if he doesn't get through his mind that this could be a huge 
like my like negative thing in his life if he doesn't realize that right now mm-hmm. like it's gonna be a, a big problem um, and so I feel like that person I'm like we want desperately we mm-hmm. want him to to get through this extremely excruciating moment that he's in mm-hmm. so at the same time while we know there's a threat looming close on the horizon and it's mm-hmm. getting closer and closer and closer how do we make him feel safe enough to make different choices while also like not making the same choices that he's made for the last, let's say, <laughs> ten years. Is this just a hypothetical? Hypothetically. Example? Okay. So, and if you're listening, I love you. Please stop what you're doing. <laughs> you know um, who you are. <laughs> oh. Um, it's it's hard to answer that without knowing what you're talking about. So I'm going to make up an example. Okay, yeah. Because I'm not going to make you call out this person here. Um, so this is off the top of my head. Let's say uh, there's a person you know who's maybe um, been using um, illegal substances. Mm. And um, I'm going to just kind of paint a picture here. This person's been in trouble with the law for this. Mm-hmm. Um, this person's been maybe making some attempts like in and out of rehab or something like that but keeps going back and is still hanging out with the same friends who promote that kind of thing and you want to shake this person (laughs) and say stop it you are wrecking your life you could die and you also could spend the rest of your life in jail uh what are you doing this is crazy. Right. Stop Haven't you it. read this article about crimes? <laughs> I, I should not laugh. People do that. Right. I'm laughing because you and I would not do that. But but it's it strikes me as funny that people like to share articles as if the person struggling couldn't have found that article right. on their own. Um, so one thing that we can do instead of threatening death and jail time and a lifetime of unhappiness <clears throat> is to say to this person. I know how strong you are and how capable you are and I hope you know how loved you are and all the support we'd love to offer you. There are potentially some things you could do to you know, take some steps in your life. I wonder if and when you'd be open to talking about some of those options. Could I be someone who's there to help you with it? Because mm. you're not on your own. Mm. It's going to be a long road, but it's one that I'd be happy to walk on with you. And here we're creating a sense of you've mm. got strengths, you've got skills, you are capable, I believe in you, I'm not leaving you, I'm not abandoning you, you've got a partner in this. All of these things create the sense of like there might actually be some hope. And no guarantees, I mean, because I'm sure there are people listening who said, yeah, I did that already, it didn't work. Um, So there's no guarantees, but sometimes it takes that as a constant message. Again, do it again, do it again, say that same speech again, say that same speech again. And it might be the 100th time that that person has heard the message, you are safe, you are loved, we care about you, you are capable, you are strong, you have all the resources you need to do this that maybe they begin to see the hope. Um, But the opposite message of you're gonna be lying in a gutter dead Mm -hmm. tends not to create that sense of hope and and inspiration. It tends to throw someone into such a threatened panic 
that they they freeze and just want immediate comfort. And right. for the person I just made up in this scenario, mm-hmm. what is he going to do for immediate comfort? Right, exactly. I'd hate to think. And, you know, listener, you don't know this, but I'm literally, I've got notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what, as, as you're saying this, Kate, it actually brings to mind something that is a little similar and, but uh, a lot different, um, and it was also a little bit um, controversial. Um, when so I've got, uh, if you've been listening, you know I've got a, um, uh, I've got an infant at home, and he's uh, looking, staring down ten months now. Um, mm. And uh, how does he respond to the scare tactics? Um, <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Um, when I had him, I found out very quickly that I'm not. I'm just not very productive on no sleep, um, mm-hmm. and um, and there's nothing you can really do about that at, with a newborn. Um, but several people that were close to us in our lives, including our pediatrician um, and um, our babysitter, who's like my uh, parent mentor, um, were like, "You should you should think about sleep training," and if you've got a child. You probably have feelings on this, so maybe just put those feelings aside for the moment. <laughs> um, and I will say that um, part of sleep training was trusting your child and know, letting them know that you trust them and you believe in mm. them to find a way to soothe themselves. And I will tell you, and I was just talking about this um, as a as a mother. You know, I was talking about this with my husband, and I'm like, I don't think that you had the same reaction that I did listening to him cry. Mm. Um, it was excruciating. And, you know, when you have those sort of hormones, um, your body's doing crazy things. Mm. Like, um, so yeah, like, I, we would put him down, and we would go in every, you know, um, few minutes, and we would say the same line. So when you said, say the same oh, thing, yeah. we have a script and I didn't make this up. This is a whole theory. Um, we, you know, we have a script and we say this to him. And even though it was so extremely hard to leave the room again and know that all he wanted, I'm like tearing up talking about this, but like knowing that he just wanted, you know, some comfort, but knowing that if I could help him realize that he knew how to do this on mm-hmm. his own, he would be better. Mm-hmm. It was so, so hard. And so honestly, Kate, I would close the door and I would sit by the door and sob and drink a beer. <laughs> um, that's why I asked you to do this podcast <laughs> with me. Um, and, um, and my husband would like literally, like I, I'd close the door and he'd be there with beer in hand because he's amazing um and um he knew that i was impacted in a way that he wasn't Mm um not that he wasn't upset by it too but it's it was just a little bit different we're different people so of course Mm -hmm. um so um we did this and uh it was extremely hard at the time i wanted to go and i wanted to help Mm -hmm. i mean there was never a time where i was going to be like if you don't sleep now you'll never sleep again child but because we did this and because we instilled in him this trust and and Mm -hmm. belief that we had that he could do this, Mm -hmm. he now can get himself to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Let's let the mic pick up a high five. (laughs) (laughs) Now I am, I I may be a counselor, but I am no child development expert. I just want to put that out there. Me either. (laughs) Um, And I, I say that first before I say, I just have to wonder if giving him the message like you can do this on your own will go far beyond sleep in his life um that first of all mom and dad now have practice in stepping back and saying you've got this Mm -hmm. you don't need us right and he has 
you know, at least some experience in saying in, in getting this message of they believe in me, I can do this on my own. I just have to. I guess we'll stay tuned for when he's like five or six or something. But yeah, I'm sure I will. You know, rue the day that I said this out loud into a recording that he's sleeping okay. <laughs> like in the moment, it was extremely hard watching this happen, and it mm-hmm. felt so superficial to say, mm-hmm. "I love you, Theo. Mommy and Daddy are here." Mm-hmm. Um, good night, sweet baby. That's our script. Um, <laughs> you know, and saying that, like, you know, repeatedly. But now I say it once. Mm-hmm. I, I put him in the crib. He looks at me. I say it. Mm-hmm. I leave the room. I don't have to tiptoe. I don't have mm-hmm. to, you know, worry about the light being on or the, mm-hmm. you know, the magic spell that is trying to get a baby to sleep. You know, I think that he kind of gets it, that he can get himself to sleep. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if you're a parent, you, there, you've got feelings on this because every kid is different. And I don't want to shame anybody for what they're going through because I don't know. The only thing I know is my kid. Mm-hmm. But it was really helpful in me knowing now that I, I did this um, uh, quite some time ago. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to have helped him. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so you brought up the, the next topic, which is shame. Um, so thanks for, for giving me that easy bridge. But before I walk on that bridge, the, sh- the shame bridge? The shame bridge. <laughs> bridge of shame. I don't think I, I, don't think I want to walk on that. Uh, but before I do, I just want to say I, uh, to your story, um, I suspect that a baby's cry feels to a new mother like danger, threat, mm-hmm. and it's a form of scare tactic coming the other way, mm. right? That you, you're you feeling scared. And I suspect, totally a guess, that saying that script to him was doing as much for you to have comfort as it was for him. I think you're probably right. All right, now let's walk the shame bridge. Okay. I've done the walk of shame before, <laughs> yeah, but not the shame bridge. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, maybe. I haven't. Anyone listening, mom. <laughs> we'll edit it out, I promise. Um, All right, so I think that sometimes scare tactics can be related to shame tactics. So shame tactics are the things that we do, again, probably from a good place of trying to help someone, but the things that we say to them that are intended to make them feel really small or ashamed of themselves in some way. Um, So maybe something like, um, do you know that your children are watching you behave this way and they're learning from you? Is, <laughs> is that the kind of parent you want to be? Or um, something like, you know, your actions are really hurting the family. Um, do you want us to be suffering? Is that what you want? Or here, I just made up one off the top of my head. What kind of mother sits in the hallway drinking beer? <laughs> I knew I could say that because deep down Leslie knows I love that you were in the hallway having a beer. Um, what do you think about these approaches, the shame approaches, Leslie? I mean, I feel like we, I. I mean, I feel like this is Facebook, right? This is what oh. we do on Facebook is is shame. So I I, I guarantee you, if I wrote um, you know a, an article right now and said I sleep trained my child at four months, I, it would be rife with people saying, "How dare you shame on what you? What kind of person valuing your life or your your sleep and your your livelihood over your child? That's ridiculous." Of blah blah blah, and um, yeah, and and so I feel like we sort of resort to that especially if it um especially if it challenges our our own definitions and our own decisions about what's right and what's wrong Mm -hmm. 
Yes. When you start thinking about these shame tactics, you'll, I'm sorry to tell you listeners, but you're going to start hearing this and noticing it more than you ever noticed before. It's in songs, it's in TV shows, Mm. it's in most commercials. I mean, companies rely on us feeling ashamed of ourselves to go buy products we don't really need. Um, and so in fact, we're just, we're just living in a culture that wants us to feel terrible about Mm. ourselves. Um, I'm going to name drop here. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown's work, and she's, she's gotten a lot of notoriety in the last, I don't know, five, six years or so. Um, and in one of her lectures that I was listening to online, she really highlighted this for me. Um, she told the audience that high levels of shame, so like by high levels of shame, I mean feeling really low technically. Right. High levels of shame are positively correlated with many of the things that we're often trying to help people overcome. Hmm. So here are just a few examples, but honestly, this list goes on and on. She said high levels of shame are positively correlated with substance use. High levels of shame positively correlated with over or under eating. High levels of shame is positively correlated with rates of incarceration, Hmm. with engaging in violence, with so many things. I believe on that list might have even been like overspending or gambling, things like Hmm. that. I think the message here is that shame is more likely the root cause of these problems, not the treatment of them. So when you meet someone who's struggling in one of these areas and we think, I know what I'll do, I'll just make them feel really bad about themselves, (laughs) probably you are reigniting the flame that started this problem in the first place. Um, Any thoughts about that? We live in the city and so we see people who are um, unhomed and um, and I feel like there's a lot of that, like, shame on you for, you know, not being groomed or being mm-hmm. um, nice to people on the street mm-hmm. or, um, you know. Not taking responsibility for yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, putting a bad look on our city. Mm-hmm. and um, Or shame on you for being, you know, drunk at you know, 10 o'clock on the morning, which by the way, if you were doing that at brunch, would be totally acceptable. <laughs> Folks, we've recorded a lot of these podcasts at 10 o'clock in the morning with mimosas, so we'll just put that out there. Totally acceptable, I said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that um, a lot of us feel entitled to shame others, and sometimes we do it because we actually think it is helping a person. Turns out, it doesn't. Now, One thing I've come to understand in recent years, which has been really helpful for me, is the difference between shame and guilt. Do you know anything about the difference there? Heard anything? Mm, I don't really know what you mean by that. What's the difference between shame and guilt? I I hope my mother's listening (laughs) because it turns out my Catholic upbringing may have been better than I originally thought um, with the, the notorious guilt trips because... Guilt exists when a person feels badly about something they've done. Shame exists when a person feels badly about who they are. Hmm. And these are very different things. There is actually something kind of healthy about guilt because if you think about it, in order to feel badly about what you've done, you have to sort of think you're better than that action. It sort of implies low shame when you have high guilt. 
you have to believe I'm capable of being better and doing better. Hmm. And so I would think of that when you say like, you know, I did a terrible thing. I'm so sorry for what I've done. What's implied is I feel so good about myself to know that I'm capable of so much better. That's a lack of shame. So the person who says, you know, I really screwed up. I'm better than that. I'm going to make sure I don't screw up again. That's healthy and motivating thinking. Uh, but when a person feels really high levels of shame, they may think to themselves, well, I'm just like a pile of garbage and I'm worthless and I'm not capable of being better, so why bother? Mm. Why even try? Right. That's not motivating. That's detrimental. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the whole... Um, so you're talking about Brene Brown. Let's talk about another... Uh, set of people that are are highly discussed in the like leadership thing. Yeah. So uh, Angela Duckworth with the grit, mm-hmm. the grit principle, right? So um, I'm thinking like, how how do how do you give that feedback, mm-hmm. and how do you um, like give someone enough feedback in a way that is helpful to them, and how do you receive that? Mm-hmm. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. That like. You know, if we're not going to rely on scare tactics and we're not going to rely on shame tactics, how do we ever give feedback to someone in a way that right, is right. helpful? Um, well, people don't have a lot of practice. Sure. So you're asking them to do something that is reasonable but is new for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So we generally don't right. bother to give feedback to people who we don't think are capable. Mm-hmm. But when you believe that someone can yeah. change, you give them feedback because you're like, I know you could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's part of it. So let, let's do a little recap here because okay, yeah. I just want to make sure we know where we've come and where we're going. Sure, sure, sure. So thinking about tough love today, we've said that scare tactics really only lead a person to seek comfort and comfort tends not to be in the form of like healthy positive things shame tactics only lead a person to aim low because they feel low and now we're talking about the ways that you can actually um, tell a person that you believe they're capable of better that might be momentum building and inspiring so I have a couple of examples yeah like tell me how to do this all right (laughs) so like rather than saying to someone Oh my God, I can't believe you failed your math test. How could you be so stupid? Stupid (laughs) is shaming, right? Try something like, I've always known you to be a really smart person, so I'm surprised this result was so low. Now you are separating the person from the behavior or action or result. Rather than saying, you lied to me, what's wrong with you? Say something like, I know that you're capable of being such an honest person. I've seen that in you before. What made you lie this time? That's highlighting a specific behavior, not a character flaw. Right, right. Um, Rather than saying, you know, you don't get ice cream today because you were a bad boy, (laughs) try something like, you're such a good boy, but today you made some bad choices, so we're not going to get ice cream. And probably for children, you'd want to name what those bad choices were, (laughs) otherwise they're not going to have a clue. So in these examples, you point out the good in the person, but the bad in the behavior. And what this seems to do is create a discrepancy between who the person is and how he or she is behaving. And that discrepancy is uncomfortable for people, and generally they want to close that gap. Mm-hmm. I wish the listeners could see my hand gestures here. <laughs> I'm, I'm showing a closing gap between who they are and how they're acting. And so you can give people feedback in a way that highlights a discrepancy. Leslie, you're such a great leader. 
Yesterday in the meeting, I was surprised you weren't listening to feedback mm. people were giving you. I wonder what was going on for you. There, and th by the way, that's fake. I didn't, that didn't really happen. Um, <laughs> but, but there I'm highlighting the space between your great leadership skills and what I saw yesterday. Right. And generally we find people feel that imbalance or that gap and they want to close it. They want to act in accordance with who they are. And, you know, maybe that's just a different kind of tough love or a not so tough love, um, but one that maybe is something people can actually use. What do you think? I mean, I think that we've been talking about this, and I think we, we started talking about this in a way that was um, really geared towards, you know, personal situations, but I've actually, I, I can see myself using this in a professional oh, way. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I worked a lot with um, a mentor who was trying to help me go from good to great or from great to excellent or whatever the next you know, mm -hmm. iteration is. And so what she was acknowledging was that I'm already pretty good, Yeah. Um, but we all have room to grow. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was in a safe space mm -hmm. to acknowledge like areas where I was, I, I was not, you know, whatever, whatever the, the mm -hmm. issue was, you know. Um, and because of that, I didn't feel confronted. I didn't feel like I needed to, you know, suck it in. She knew that I tried hard, mm -hmm. but she wasn't willing to let me go off the hook. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is something that I aspire to do, you know, as a leader in my in my professional life, and I, you know, maybe even you know as a parent. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe the take home message is if you're tempted to take this tough love approach, there's a way to do it that is. Um, as I said earlier, with a little bit more love. And when you can help people feel safe and secure, as you just said your mentor was mm -hmm. helping you do, they might be more open to hearing some feedback and a little bit of that tough part on their behavior and actions when their person is not under attack or threatened. Right. Listeners, she's not kidding. She took notes <laughs> and she is smiling. So maybe we all need to follow up with Leslie and see how this went. Um, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having me.